Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, forgotten patriots and American taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back for another episode here late Thursday, January 30th. We are almost done with the month. Time is flying. The workload is heavy. We have a lot to accomplish. If you want to actually accomplish for this country what needs to get done when we have President Trump in power, well, you got to listen to this show. You got to spread the word, subscribe to this show on iTunes, Conservative Review Podcast. Leave us a, a comment. You know, it really helps to rate the show. Give us five stars if you can, um, because the liberal algorithms really try to punish conservatives. So you definitely need as many people as possible. Um, giving it a positive rating. That is something very helpful. I know some of you have done. And obviously pass the show around. Tweet to me at rmconservative. You can find all my written content at conservativereview.com or you could email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Now, as impeachment continues to go on and it's going to wrap up, whether it's later this week, I really hope, or next week or the week after that, it's going to be over soon. But the underlying problem with the conservative movement that I call the underutilization of the opportunity of Trump's presidency, that we're distracted with nonsense, with things that we can't affect, while the left is continuing to win, while we are not solving our critical national security problems with immigration, with health concerns coming in, we still haven't Barred travel from China, unbelievably, with this coronavirus getting out of control. And so many security problems. We got tunnels being dug at our border. And there's no focus on all the things that we can be doing. No focus on the things we can do, be doing fiscally. On abortion. Budget. That's going to continue. Why is that going to continue? It's going to continue... Because it didn't start with impeachment. It started with Mueller pretty much from day one of this presidency. There was never a focus on real things. If they vote to acquit Trump of all the charges, which is going to happen, whether it's at the end of the week or next week, the Democrats aren't going to stop with this. Okay, They're going to keep doing it. So we have a choice. We, we could continue on the same path, or we can make the Democrats focus on what we want to focus on. Trump every day could highlight a security, national security issue, crime issue, and the things he wants to do and the way the Democrats are doing the opposite, radically endangering the security of Americans. And he could score points. And believe me, were he to start rapidly enacting these policies, the Democrats won't be focusing on investigating Ukraine. They'll have to focus on this. And you know what? I'd much rather focus on an issue that matters where we could beat the people beat the Democrats in the hearts and minds of the American people. So I start off the day focusing on Israel. And you're going to see how it ties back into our border. Um, some of you have asked me, hey, what's your opinion on the Trump peace deal? You haven't commented on it. And I haven't commented on it because it's really, there's nothing really to say. It's irrelevant. Um, nothing's going to come of it. I think it's stupid to push any form of a Palestinian state, why it would be in our interest to continue this policy of other presidents. 
um, to even even indulge it at all. But nonetheless, it appears like Trump is just doing it for a veneer of a deal, but they're not really going to spend time on it. It's more aimed at helping Netanyahu um, at least take the parts that he's going to give to Israel, give to Israel off the table. So it would help him with his reelection. I think it's more about internal Israeli affairs, which is why, I mean, my whole view on this is, look, let Israel do what they want. If they want to commit suicide and give away their country, they're going to do it. If they want to fight for it, let them fight for it. Why do we need to get involved in creating national borders for the most violent civilization for a 40th Arab state and the second Palestinian state, the first being Jordan, by the way, when we have our own problems at our own border? Instead, we need to learn the lessons of Israel's border and apply them here. So for those of you who are interested, I actually have, I wrote the definitive pieces as a two-part series on the myth of a Palestinian state. The first one debunks the um, historical and moral justification for a so-called Arab Muslim, so-called Palestinian state uh, in in the heart of the Holy Land, never existed. Um, And then the second one I talk about just the here and now, the geographical and security impossibility of creating such a thing and why it's just stupid. On so many levels. So it's two long pieces. If you're interested in that topic, this is going to be the most definitive uh, history lesson you have on that issue. But as I was finishing those articles, I saw the news put out by CBP that they discovered in California, you know, near San Diego, the longest tunnel ever dug by the cartels under our border, going some 4,000 feet into our border. It started at a warehouse in, or an industrial zone in Tijuana, just across the border, and they dug it 70 feet beneath the surface. It was about uh, very narrow, it was a couple feet wide, five and a half feet tall, and, you know, a lot of sophisticated stuff. It had a, had a pulley system, a, a rail cart going through it. Um, it had ventilation. It had... Um, an elevator at the tunnel entrance. It had drainage systems. Um, high vol- uh, voltage electrical cables were in there. And I was thinking like, man, that's what I was just writing about Israel. Meaning the whole point is, you see the danger of Israel where they have enemies in the corner. So Gaza in the southwest corner, Lebanon with Hezbollah in the far north, and how dangerous it is. They were digging tunnels to go and pop up and bring in weapons and engage in infiltrations, kidnappings. So my point was, you can imagine you create a so-called Palestinian state in the heart of Judea and Samaria, where at the narrowest point, the coastal plain that would belong to Israel is just nine um, miles wide, uh, more narrow than the Washington Beltway. And then that's the plain, whereas Samaria is the high ground, and they would be able to shoot uh, surface-to-surface, surface-to-air missiles at the only uh, international airport they have. Just It's just, it's basically telling the Jews a two-state solution is the final solution because there will be one state if you would ever create that. And I was thinking just from a tunnel standpoint, they, they would be able to dig anywhere where, where Jews are living there. And I saw this and I was like, man, you know, this is the stuff we associate with Hamas and Hezbollah, we have this right at our border with the Mexican cartels doing. And, you know, as Jason Jones gave a comment on the record, you'll see it in my article. It's put up, I believe, both at conservativereview.com and at theblaze.com. 
uh, both of our, our websites, he noted, this is another failure of our government. They had a six-month task force. They discovered it in August, evidently. They announced it yesterday. And they have no arrests, no bra- discovery of who did this, no nothing, no even capture of narcotics or weapons that they, because they funnel a lot of weapons through this. Just a tunnel. Just a hole. And they're going to keep doing this. And this is another illustration of how the president needs to inform people. People don't even know this happened. That, that this press release was put out. That this is another reason why the cartels need to be treated like Hamas and Hezbollah. And we need to treat them with a military national security mindset, not a law enforcement mindset. You can't fight this with law enforcement. It's not a law enforcement issue. This is a national survival issue. What, what, what's so tough, as I always note, is that, see, when it comes to Israel, so it's a black zone conflict. It's direct. You know, if Hezbollah or Hamas come through there, they'll come out and start shooting at civilians, IDF, anyone there. Yes, we're not at that point where they're doing that to us. It's called a gray zone conflict. But you, it's asymmetrical warfare. You need to treat it as such. Because guess what? So much of the violence and murder in our cities is from that. Not necessarily specifically the tunnels, but, but weapons come in through there. And the drugs that get delivered to the transnational gangs that are working for them, according to the Drug Enforcement Administration's uh, threat as- annual threat, threat assessment, a significant number of the deaths in a city like Chicago in a given year. I don't mean the drug overdoses, which are, you know, tens of thousands. I'm talking about just the shootings is from those very gangs servicing the cartels with that contraband. And, you know, you look at ICE, which has lodged in in just one year enough detainers that accounted for People convicted or charged with 2,500 homicides. We only arrest about 9,000 people a year nationwide on homicide. That's a huge chunk comes from this. So, like, you don't have this black zone conflict where, you know, in Israel, well, the Hezbollah will pop up and start publicly shooting. They keep it under wraps. They don't want to get caught. But the result is often the same in our cities. It's truly... Hard to understate the economic devastation that takes place, in addition to the lives lost, from this inner city violence on this. I know we talk about, oh, just legalize drugs and we'll stop. Well, we de facto do legalize them, because in most of these big cities, we're not prosecuting people anymore. It is legalized, um, and yet the cartels are making more of a killing than ever. They're the professionals at this. They now have growing sites in America. In states that are legalizing marijuana, we always thought, okay, that would take away marijuana from them. Well, now they're here with armed guards on our soil in national parks guarding growing sites. So, I mean, that's not, this is an insurgency. Now, obviously, you read this, and there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. First of all, number one, um, there were sandbags covering up the exit point in the warehouse in, in California. So again, I mean, they have a lot of people in America through the endless immigration, illegal immigration. Some have even become citizens over the years that work for them. We have, we have a cross-cultural insurgency 
um, around these borders. So, you know, Democrats are out there saying, you know, we need to remake Israel's borders. Meanwhile, we have our own insurgency in, in these places in California and the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. By the way, you don't have the tunnel problem in Texas because my understanding is the soil uh, doesn't allow the tunnels to really last for too long. They'll go and collapse. So uh, it's more of a problem in California. But I digress. So you have that issue. But then, you know, I'm sick of hearing about this is only drugs. You can have the most violent, belligerent, combative, militant groups that for some reason they might not yet want to directly confront us, but give them conduits into America and be like, yeah, it's just drugs. That, that's really DHS's mindset. I mean, they'll, they'll put out a press release on it, but they had, they've never changed their game. Nothing has changed over the last 20 years on this. But the reality is it's only about it until it's no longer about it. One, one guy who works who has substantial experience in national security, I'm just getting his text here. He texted me this point, and he said, just imagine what you could bring into this country by this tunnel and ones like it. It's why the issue of delivery systems for nuclear weapons cannot be the deciding factor on a nation's threat once they have a working bomb process. I get so tired of people saying they might get the bomb, but they have no way of delivering it. It's an idiotic statement. It doesn't take much for terrorists to utilize this. They know about our vulnerabilities. So they could use it too. And, you know, for the right price, even if the cartel leadership wouldn't want it, they could bribe someone, more of a, a captain-level guy manning the, the system. And you just can't have it. You can't have a violent, mentally unstable person, for example, put a sword over your neck. And you have some sort of rationale that's a pretty logical rationale, let's say, why you think he's never going to go and actually slit your throat. But it's not really a good idea to keep it there, okay? So at some point, we need to fully achieve operational security control as statute mandates, and this is why, as I said, I'm, I'm supportive of the wall. I always have been, but it's not the end all. And this is a classic example. You need the military. You need to create a buffer zone. You need to tell the Mexican government, either you work with us or we're going to create our own buffer zone. We're not going to deal with your insurgencies, but we are going to create a security perimeter. That's what the military is good at doing. We talk about this a lot with the Middle East strategy. Create a security perimeter. Instead, they don't view it as such. They view it as a law has been broken. An infiltration has occurred. A tunnel has been dug. Let's go and investigate. Dude, if we're not going to use our DOD apparatus and the technology that we use in Afghanistan um, for this stuff, and this is the point Jason Jones made in the article we'll link to in show notes, then there's just no point. You can't fight a national security issue with law enforcement tools. It's just dumb. It's not, it's not even about drugs, per se. I don't so much need the drug prosecutions. I mean, on the interior, it would be nice if we locked these people up. There would be some sort of deterrent and deported the foreign nationals that do it, obviously. But, I mean, this is the thing. The border is not any more secure 
under Trump. It got worse with the migration. We slowed it down, but we're not even back to where we were in 2017, which leads me to the next issue. Some of you heard this already here first on the show here. Todd Benzman was on last week, gave us this briefing on what's going on at the border with the migration. But here he wrote in an article, Extracontinental Migration to Southern Border. The term extracontinental on its own implies a relatively value-free definition from beyond or from outside the continent. But used in the parlance of government and homeland security these days, the term is loaded is loaded with, with meaning and warning about a surging form of illegal immigration to the United States um, that the government neither understands nor manages well. At a December CIS Newsmaker Series interview, Acting Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection Mark Morgan benchmarked a good starting point, recognition. He identified as an increased issue surges in extracontinental migration of U.S.-bound peoples from non-Spanish-speaking populations around the globe to include the Muslim-majority nations of terrorism concern in the Middle East and South Asia. I would argue China is, is a big one as well. Um, and then he starts talking about the fact that, you know, basically this is what's driving the numbers in part that we still have 40,000 a month that come to our border. That's a lot more than um, maybe it was 13, 14, 15,000 in the spring of 2017. And this is the big thing. And as he notes here, um, we are not implementing the policies we did with the Central Americans to shut that down with the extracontinental migrants that bring in an array of concerns, whether it's diseases, whether it's um, just, you know, African tribes that are violent, engaging in struggle, uh, the Islamic terror to countries, China, Cuban espionage is a big problem, the Cubans. It's a big problem. And as he noted, they are not changing the policies for them. They're, they're letting them through, and a lot of them are able to apply. Why am I the only one talking about this? I mean, every day Trump is president provides us with so many opportunities. And you see the good things he does do on immigration demonstrates that we could do so much more if we asked for it, if we focused on it, if we built the case and gotten Trump's ear, he'd do it. But if we get distracted 100% on the razzle-dazzle politics, this stuff's going to continue. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. Imagine living on a tilted playing field. Like, you know, picture one of these, like, ski ball games where you have to, you have to go up against gravity. And you're like, well, I move the ball forward. Yeah, but if you don't do it with enough force, because the because of the built-in landscape, you're always going to go backwards unless you're going forwards in a meaningful enough way with enough velocity with my ski ball analogy. But in this case, doing enough. Because like I said, because of sanctuary cities, because of how immigration feeds on itself and illegal immigration feeds on itself and the political problems feed on itself and the security problems feed on, on themselves... It only gets worse if you don't do what, what, what's proper. And you don't do everything you can do. So for every step forward we take, we take two steps back. The, the scope of the problem it gets worse. That's what the left has done. 
It's the same thing on healthcare. It's the same thing on budget deficits. Every policy, they've set time bombs that they feed on itself, and, and, and it gets worse and worse and worse. So it's not enough just to say, hey, I've done a couple of things here and there that legitimately are relatively better than any other administration and, and has uh, broached certain topics and certain policies and certain solutions that other administrations weren't willing to do, and that's great. But if you're not reaching critical mass, the natural inertia of some of these problems are going to continue to get worse. So you could do, you know, implement a couple of interior enforcement things, but if you don't fully go after sanctuary cities, it's now actually worse on interior enforcement than under Obama simply because of the tripling in the number of sanctuary cities. That needs to be dealt with. And again, I mean, you know, as let, let, let's move on to not the border, but legal ports of entry. As we continue to have more and more and more and more immigration from the Middle East, it builds on itself. The cultural insurgency from it builds on itself. The security problems are going to build. So like, after record immigration, the president that promised to shut it all off and then actually had a Supreme Court ruling saying emphatically he has the power to do so, it's like, okay, I'll pick four countries and then we find out, Bloomberg has an article on this, Bloomberg News, as I've been warning, we've been giving a bunch of waivers. So the number I've seen is that 52% from Iran, Syria, Yemen, and um, I guess Somalia and Libya, it's five countries. I don't know how evenly it's distributed, but in totality, 52% have gotten waivers. Those countries... Trump's DHS just extended temporary protected status for Somalians for another 18 months, I think. I mean, these are things that don't have to happen, but they're going to continue happening if we don't get on the playing field. If we don't push the right executive actions, the right personnel choices, the president to use his veto leverage on budget bills, the president to make better endorsements, as we talked about yesterday, you're not going to have a better second term. But frankly, for a lot of my colleagues, the goal is not that Trump has the most successful second term policy-wise. I mean, they'll say they agree with it. The goal is that I get clicks on my website and and downloads on my show as an end to itself and I'm able to make money. And look, don't we all want to make money? But I mean, I don't know. Can't you make money talking about riveting security issues that people care about? Is it that boring? But that's what we have here. And then, yeah, I mean, we have, now it's out in the open that China is lying about the coronavirus, which we knew anyway, and it's much worse than they thought. There's really several hundred people now being monitored in America. We're not getting, um, we're not getting information. Let's just say I have a relative of mine that is seriously ill in the hospital right now, and I'll just leave it at that. There is there is suspicion from the doctors that this is what it is. This is pretty bad. To this day, to this day, they have not shut off travel from there. Like, even when there's an impetus to prove Trump right on something, he doesn't take it. Like with Pensacola. It's time to have borders. And borders means 
There's a lot of bad things in the world. We have a shining city on the hill, and you want to protect that. And your biggest vulnerabilities are going to be your land borders, your maritime borders, your airports, meaning AKA the visa system. That's what it is. Foreign enemies and domestic, or you know whether it's health concerns or, or uh, or other stuff. That's what it is. So um, we'll have a number of these articles out today. Lots of written content. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we got to get on the ball here. It's that simple. Then you go, go to jailbreak. I just want to read you a story. Some of you might have seen this. But this is out of Iowa. The Iowa Attorney General's office, this is the Des Moines Register, is no longer seeking the, the commitment of a former Midwest Christian Services student convicted of a myriad uh, sex crimes because the individual now identifies as a woman. Court records show the state d- dismissed the application. On January 9th, Attorney General spokesman Lynn Hicks wouldn't comment on the reason for the dismissal other than to say an offender's hormone levels are an important part of substantiating an offender's likelihood of recidivism. In November, the Storm Lakes Times reported that Joseph Matthew Smith, a 23-year-old convicted of molesting a fellow MCS student in 2014, was undergoing medical treatment that is needed prior to Smith potentially undergoing gender reassignment surgery. Smith has received treatment for gender reassignment over the past two years at Newton Correctional Facility. Again, this should be against the law. It's mutilation. It's it's castration. It's it's against the Hippocratic Oath, but whatever. Anyway, it turns out... um, this guy, a preliminary report prepared by the state's expert, Dr. Jeffrey Davis, says Smith molested as many as 15 victims ranging from ages 1 to 13 before being sentenced to prison in December 2015. Good Lord. Put, put aside the gender-bending insanity, the Twilight Zone, for a minute. Let's just talk about the criminal aspect of this. Notice a guy's accused of molesting 15 people and he barely serves time in prison. Like one year. And we are lectured to by 100% of Democrats and 90% of Republicans and phony coke-funded conservative think tanks that we have an over-incarceration problem. Every sex assault case I see of, of, of juveniles, of, of child victims that I've seen these days does not result in a significant sentence. I saw a case in in Oregon recently. A guy straight up was convicted of raping three teenagers. He got 15 months. And based on the Oregon laws, he'll be out after about eight or nine months. This happens all over the place. And then obviously this whole transgender thing. Is it that hard to ask that we have a bold contrast where Republicans will actually fight this agenda for real. And in all the states that they control, they control Iowa. They have a Republican governor. Make it unlawful. I don't understand. Is it lawful for a doctor? If someone goes up to a doctor and says, I want to identify as, you know, a whale. So I'm not, I don't want to have arms. So could you cut off my arms and we're going to call it arm reassignment surgery or beast reassignment surgery? Is that legal? Could you do that? 
Now, it's a hundred times more systemically devastating and damaging to a body to castrate someone, because that's the whole plumbing system, and then just inject them with all this mutilization. Why is that legal? And why... I mean, even the one or two states where Republicans are starting to push this, it's like to ban it for, for minors. And I get it, you'll start with that, but I mean... Adults, too. What is this like, oh, you have the choice? There's, the, there's no choice. You can't. A doctor can't do that. We regulate every darn thing. We don't allow them to give pain medication to people who badly need it um, because we want to protect the illicit drug trafficking of the illegal immigrants and the sanctuary cities that harbor them and the drug traffickers that we want to let out of jail so we can't talk about the devastation of the drug trafficking because we want to have criminal justice reform. So we screw them over. Government regulates every single aspect of healthcare. But when it comes to this, it's like, oh, they're, they're, they're consensual adults and you can't, uh, you can't regulate it. Give me a break. What a bunch of malarkey. What a bunch of malarkey. So that's where we are. There's a lot more going on. You're, you're going to have to, again, go to conservativereview.com, go to blaze, theblaze.com, see my articles, um... We're going to have another candidate on tomorrow. We're going to have a candidate on tomorrow you're going to really, really like. Um, I mean, this is a guy I am endorsing, um, full-fledged. I feel very strongly about him. Uh, It's probably the best guy I've seen, at least so far, this cycle, and what I believe is the most important race. So we're going to have that tomorrow. But I just want to have a note on the primaries for a minute. I talked a little bit about this Georgia Senate race. And this is really where substance, research, details, being smart over cosmetic superficial crap matters. So the conservative movement is asleep. When Chris McDaniel challenges Cindy Hyde-Smith, a lifelong Democrat appointed by the stupid governor there to, to... Phil Thad Cochran's seat there. And he is arguably the original MAGA movement, Trump before Trump. No one. No one backs him. No focus. And Trump goes in and backs Cindy Hyde-Smith. When you have Chris Kobach running in Kansas against a complete rhino puke that, that lied to run against one of the best conservative House members with the support of the pro-amnesty ag lobby and won... Silence so far, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know they get Trump to endorse the establishment guy. You have Martha McSally, who's a loser in Arizona and lost her Senate race, and they pick her the other seat. Trump endorses her, so no one could go and challenge her because there, it's not just a matter of of a flaccid Republican. She's really behind and losing in every poll to the Democrat. Nothing there. Nothing. 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 When Joe Miller, when Joe Miller was going to run again, and he did run against Lisa Murkowski, who voted against Kavanaugh, the one thing that everyone cared about. I was the only one endorsing him, having him on this program. Nothing. Nowhere. I'm leaving out a lot of good examples. Oh, Mitt Romney, obviously. I was the only one supporting Mike Kennedy. Open seat. Trump comes in, endorses Romney because there's no conservative pressure to get involved. 
the one time suddenly everyone in this business finds a religion is Doug Collins running in Georgia. The one guy who is to the left of Bill de Blasio working with Hakeem Jeffries, who's one of the impeachment managers, by the way, on letting out federal sex offenders from prison. He wrote the original bill before the First Step Act that thanks to us and Tom Cotton, we, we gutted out some of the worst elements, but he was totally fine and he thought it was nothing to put in there a release of gun felons, gang members, um, sex offenders. No problem. This guy doesn't believe in incarceration, but he has these great clips fighting Adam Schiff on impeachment. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, because they have this superficial thing that, well, the NRC is, is bashing Collins and supporting Kelly Leffler. And remember, I'm not supporting her yet. I need to know more about her. I mean, I don't you know. I got to find out if there's anything there. Um, but the point is that that's stupid. The NRC is just at the end of the day, they support incumbents and they've established a precedent a long time ago for better, or for worse, usually for worse, that they treat an appointed senator. So if someone dies, the governor appoints someone right away. They just they they're going to back them. They don't want party division, whatever. They're going to back them. So, I mean, the reality is if someone were to challenge Ted Cruz from the left in a primary in Texas, the NRC would back Cruz, too. I mean, it, that's just what they do. Um, so you can't just use that as a yardstick. Oh, well, they're backing Leffler, so Doug Collins must be great. Like, no. It doesn't work that way. Do your freaking homework. This guy yesterday signed on to a letter. Not yesterday. It was a little while ago. But yesterday, John Binder of Breitbart had a great article out. 123 Republicans signing a letter saying that the record numbers of H-2 visas, low-skilled third-world workers coming into our agricultural communities, our rural communities, bringing in a lot of social problems, criminal problems, isn't enough. We need more. I, I mean, do, do you want me to lie to you? Do you want me to just go along with everyone? Oh, no one's good enough for you, Daniel. I mean, look, is it too much to ask? That on the fundamental alt-left issues like abolish prison and endless migration, we have a bold contrast? I, 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 mean, I mean, I'm not asking, okay, if you're bad on sugar subsidies, okay? I mean, I, I'll, I'll take it. But, I mean, the real fundamental issues, is, is it too much to ask from the state of Georgia? I mean, this is not like a New York Republican. Is it too much to ask? I guess it is. I guess it is. All we want is the show, the viral moment. Well, let me tell you something. Civilizations aren't built on viral moments. Civilizations are built on long, hard, concerted work to build a movement, to make the case for issues, to build the infrastructure, to defend our, our institutions and our ideas. It's not made overnight in a viral moment especially over superficiality at the expense of issues that really matter that these guys are, are, are just terrible on. But that's the thing. I'm going to bring on a candidate tomorrow who is terrific, challenging a puke in a conservative district. The biggest spender in Congress. She's really pro-choice in, 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 the, in the background. She hates Trump. Yeah, Trump endorsed I'm going to be the first major talk show host having him on this program. 
So it's a little bit of a tease out for tomorrow. Send me your questions, comments, concerns for tomorrow's show, drhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show at iTunes or if you prefer Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcast. Send it to 50 of your friends and relatives. Drop a comment, um, a review of the show. Uh, let us know how you like the show. It will really help us get this message out. Because frankly, if you guys don't help get this out, it's not going anywhere. Till tomorrow, thank you for listening, and God bless. Thank you.